Let's check here. Full, let's see, yes. Fuel on the fullest tank. Left tank. Set altimeter, 160 feet. All right. Gyro set. Primer lock. Rev it up to 1,800. <laughs> check engine gauges. Alternator suction. Mag drop. Carb heat on. Idle carb heat off. Control movements check. Check and set flaps. Set trim. Fuel pump. Electric fuel pump on. Rotating beacon on. Check door latch. Check windows. Check seat belts. All right, here we go. Down the runway. Down the runway. Big George. <laughs> the bear missed the train. The bear missed the train. The bear missed the train, and now he's walking. The bear missed the train. The bear missed the train. The bear missed the train, and now he's walking. Oh, yeah. He's walking far, and now he's walking near. He's walking in the He's walking everywhere. He's drinking a glass of beer. The bear missed the train. The bear You know, it's like feeding the pennant. The pennant is now just around the corner, and the World Series are coming up. The bear missed the train. The bear... Hey, listen, before we do anything else, uh, we've got to salute the passing of a great American. A great American. Did you ever hear of James Leahy? You wouldn't know. The true greatness rarely gets known. I mean, no, no, come on. I mean, everybody thinks, you know, guys like Johnny Carson are great. James Leahy did something. And he just passed into the great beyond, into the great, uh, the great uh, Olympus, where true men of distinction go. Hey, do you remember that series of whiskey ads? The men of distinction? Remember those, those guys? There's a little, little picture that says, uh, you know, J. L. Bullard III, a man of distinction. Drinks old gut rot. You remember that? You know, the show, and they're looking out. He's got this glass. Oh, listen, I had a terrible, very, very disillusioning experience here the other day. I go into this seedy bar over on 2nd Avenue to make a phone call. <laughs> you know, to make a phone call. 
And I see this bum just laying all over the bar, you know, and his feet are hanging down on the floor. One shoe is off, and he's just, just a bad scene. And I make the call. I walk past, and it hits me. I'd seen that guy before. And he was in one of them ads. He was a man of distinction. And now old barley corn has got him. And so, you know, you, 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 you just can't, uh, you can't, you can't trust time to be kind. And tonight we would like to salute briefly before we do anything else. We would like to salute James Leahy, who just passed in Hartford, Connecticut. He was known by all of his friends as the king of the crash. Now, wait a minute. He didn't crash cars or anything like that. Have you noticed that all these ads for these TV shows, you know, all the new shows that are coming on, the private eye shows, almost invariably it shows a car rolling down a hill on fire. I don't know what it is that CBS has against cars. <laughs> I mean, it loves to smash up cars. Hartford's king of the crash is dead at 71 after a unparalleled career of window smashing. An oratory that gave the police fits and insurance companies migraine headaches. James Leahy, who died at 71 last Wednesday, regarded window breaking as a top form of social protest. And in his heyday, he shattered more glass than an apprentice glazier with a bad case of St. Vitus dance. <laughs> Did you hear about this guy? You mean you never heard of him? Oh, well, you're going to hear about him now. His, his, cut it, cut it there. Thank you, thank you, George. His favorite missile was an empty wine bottle. Fittingly. But a brick would do. The bigger the window, the better. He was nearly always arrested after his smashing performances and spent more time in jail, in jail, than out of it. By 1964, 20 years after he started regarding plate glass windows as heaven-sent brickbat targets, he had been arrested well over 100 times and was nearly always sentenced to 30 days or possibly even two months in jail for damage. <laughs> Almost anything. He had a fantastically light fuse. Now, he didn't just go around and break windows. I explained to you. I'll, I'll read what, what the writer says here. I'll let him take over here. It says, Almost anything would light Leahy's short fuse. He'd get bugged and crash. There would go another window. He played no favorites in politics. In 1958, he smashed the plate glass window at the Democratic headquarters on Main Street with an empty wine bottle. He explained later to the judge that he resented a picture in the window of Sheriff Donald C. Potter, a man he knew intimately through his uh, frequent stays at the local jail. <laughs> That's funny. Six years later, one of his wild pitches cracked the window of the Republican headquarters on Pearl Street. This time, he told a judge that Goldwater didn't have no chance in the 1964 presidential race. He should have been nominated, and the hell with the Republicans. Uh, he heard the election results that year in the can. One of Leahy's favorite targets was the now-defunct Hofbrau House, Hofbrau House restaurant in uh, Hartford. He broke the biggest window in the place at least four times that they have records of at 69 bucks a crack, $369 a crack to replace it. And the proprietor's, the proprietor's glass insurance was finally canceled because of Leahy. They would not insure him. Any bartender rash enough to refuse Leahy a drink was almost sure to be sweeping up glass a couple of minutes later. Several local pubs were known to slip him a drink now and then as a form of insurance. His compulsion for hard objects and splintering noises was not limited to bars and political associations. However, his record runs the gamut from department stores to jewelers, an artist to the core, he never stole anything from any of the broken windows. He'd just bust the window and say, to hell with you. 
In fact, he stood outside the places that he busted the windows of and regarded his handiwork with pride and then would address spectators who arrived on the scene about how rotten the place was or the sheriff was, whoever it was. One time a policeman approached him just after he'd broken the window of a store. How did you do that? The policeman asked innocently, thinking he did it by mistake, not knowing Leahy's reputation. Like this, said Leahy. Grabbed a brick and threw one through another window. (laughs) And so he's now gone. And I'll start issuing insurance again in Hartford, Connecticut. Leahy's gone to his great resting place. And I wonder what kind of a heaven he goes to. Oh, yeah. Can't you just see it? got nothing but glass doors all around him, see, and an infinite pile of bricks. <laughs> you know, did you ever have a, a, a vague a vague urge to break a window? Well, let me tell you, I, I you know, breaking windows, it, it's a great theory. It's a great thing to, you know, theorize about, as long as you keep it in that direction. But I tell you, I remember one time busting a window that I have never forgotten. I'm telling you, I, and I, I was not I was not the ball player. It was a baseball game, and I was not the ball player who broke the window. I was at that time playing left field, and I'm standing out there, left field. We are playing St. Ignatius. Now, I was playing at that time for a tough, hard-hitting local nine known as the United Brethren, which uh, obviously a church league, you see. But the, none of us went to church. I have to explain something to you. We were, we were traveling semi-pros, and that, uh, that, uh, the, the church league had gotten so hot in that area there that they couldn't rely on members of the congregation to win ball games. You know, these guys with the thick glasses and the worried look, they ain't going to win no ball games. So they began, <laughs> I'll tell you the truth, George, they began to recruit you know, local guys that were playing ball. You know, come down to play for United Brethren. Well, you know, we'd come down there. And the, the only reason we came down to play for United Brethren because they give us a suit. So uh, we had this, uh, you know, we had a great suit. You, you've seen these softball suits, you know, great-looking uh, satin. We had, In fact, the United Brethren that year had maroon and gold. Beautiful suit, you know, had maroon front, gold sleeves, had a gold hat with a big maroon UB in the front. And we were the United Brethren. We're always playing teams called uh, Immaculate Conception. That is pure white suit, you know. <laughs> and uh, play at teams like uh, St. Ignatius. At, uh, so one night, we're playing St. Ignatius, which was in a neighborhood on the south side of Chicago. And uh, obviously, uh, softball is not as big here in the, in the east, the Asaith East, as it is in the Midwest, especially in Chicago. It's, it's really a blood game. Now, we didn't play this slow-pitch stuff. You know, it's not these great big stuff. You know, the stuff they play in the show league out here, greasy kid stuff. I mean, this was fast, underhand, fast-pitch, small ball. You know, the little 12-inch ball, Jerry, you've seen that? And uh, this is a game that men play. It's not for kids. And this league was hot, and it was, it was a good league and mean. There was no love lost. The one th- there were a lot of commandments that, uh, that this church league did not live by. Turn the other cheek, never. Turn the other cheek to, to the St. Ignatius. Are you kidding? <laughs> Love thine enemy? Forget it. It was blood. So on this night, it is a hot, oh, a hot fall night. It's like, you know, you know, those muggy nights and a few mosquitoes still hanging around or a couple hundred people out there at the ballpark. And it was surrounded by a high wire fence playing on the south side of Chicago. And I'm playing left field this night. And had a fence all the way around the outfield. See, about... Eight, nine, ten feet high. One of these chicken wire type fences, you know, they have around tennis, can do once in a while. They just 
reached down and got this fantastic arc, and he golfed that thing right down the left field line, right over my head. It wasn't even wasn't even curving, and just going right up. I knew it was gone, you know. It just go right over my head, right over the fence, right over the 79th Street, which was right outside the ballpark, right over the sidewalk, and right through the front window of the Shamrock Cafe. Well, now, he had a window that was about 12 feet square, and that ball went through right on a line. Just went right through. Well, there was one brief pause, you know, just hung in the air like that, and all the drunks and the bums and all the, you know, all the heavy drinkers and the distinguished men and all the, you know, they all poured out of the sink, they out of their Shamrock Cafe, and five minutes later, the ballpark was empty. The ball game was over. If you've ever seen a crowd of drunken, angry Irishmen pour out of a out of an Irish bar on 79th Street in Chicago, that was more exciting than any play at third. And so the next day, it came out in the paper. It says Saint Ignatius United Brethren tie in ball game foreshortened by accident. Well, it said they didn't tell what the accident was. What they meant was three guys got arrested. This is W O R New York, and we have for you Ein Zweit Right. Oh, it's you again, that wonderful inventor. Right, and this time I really have a winner for the Red Bird of Lufthansa German Airlines. He's in Europe making arrangements for our wonderful winter ski tour. Oh, too bad he didn't see this first. It's my portable mountain. You get one and ski at home. But it's only about two feet high. Oh, oh, oh this is only a model. My full-size portable mountain is over 4,000 feet high. Low tree line, plenty of long ski runs out in the sunshine. Oh. But that's what you get when you ski with the Red Baron and his Lufthansa. Oh. And you can fly over with Lufthansa to Munich. Then the Red Baron ski bus special takes you to Innsbruck, Kitzbühel, or the Alberg region. Oh. Or you can choose an Avis car instead. You get a room every night, and you can ski for two or three weeks. Wow. And you don't have to carry the mountain with you. Just your skis and a change of socks. Oh, that is easier. And the low prices will amaze you. See you travel agent you know, or ask Lufthansa about the Red Baron ski holidays in the Alps. Well, maybe if I put panels on it or... Hi, this is Tex Ritter for the New York, New Jersey American Motors dealers. And they're coming on strong. Coming on strong. Coming on strong. We've got the quality in the cars you want to buy. The protection of AMC at a price you're glad to pay. Drive the number one value in a carefree way. What America wants, America gets from American Motors. Finer cars and the best fire protection plan going. See the cars that are headed for a second straight record-breaking year. See your New York, New Jersey, American motor dealers soon. And tell them Texan. No Tex, really. Yeah, no Tex. All right. All right, attention. I want you to sit at attention now. Something important is about to occur. Hi, Gene Shepard, your fearless leader, and going to do one show, count them, one show in New York this season. I repeat, only one show. If you boot this, you have no excuse. You will regret it all the rest of your life. And now, here is the information. Gene Shepard.
Shepard will be unbelievably live at Carnegie Hall on Tuesday, October 17th, 8 p.m. And we will ride with us Simple Street, which is a much better than average group. And we have a lot of fantastic surprises for you. The tickets are going fast. You better get your tickets now. The tickets are $350, $450, and $550, which is a hell of a bargain for Carnegie Hall. You can get your tickets by mail, by sending a check or money order, and stamp self-addressed envelope to Carnegie Hall, 154 West 57th Street. I repeat, 154 West 57th Street, New York, 10019. And you'll be sure to tell them you want tickets to the Gene Shepherd Show. You'll never forget it. For further information, call Carnegie Hall Box Office at 212-247-7459. Do not call me. And the tickets are now on sale at all Ticketron outlets in your own supermarket. Ticketron. The area code there is 212-644-4400. October 17th is the day. Carnegie Hall, the place. Uh, hey, if breakfast leaves you cold, warm up to a nice hot dish of Wolf's Kasha. Little tiny kernels of buckwheat grain. Roasted. Wolf's Kasha. You pick it up at your supermarket. You find that right there on the shelf. And you ask them for Wolf's kasha and then you try that this is total health food minerals and the english call it vitamins you know minerals vitamins and proteins in wolf's kasha you try it it's great you can make it into popsicles do anything and you can get a, a wolf's kasha recipe book just send uh, uh you know your name to to uh, me that's spelled m-e me wolf's w-o-r new york one oh oh one eight now, one more uh, little thing we got here for you. Boy, fantastic number of commercials tonight. How about a seven commercial night here? To be or not to be? To see or not to see? You know, sometimes I get embarrassed reading this copy, and I'm not going to read it. What I am going to tell you is that the Smithsonian Magazine is a real fine little magazine if you're interested in the outdoors and in just, you know, life in general. You agree, Jerry? Very entertaining magazine. It's published by Smithsonian Institution. You know what that's like. You've been there. And uh, if you'd like to become a member of the Smithsonian Institution, you'll also become that when you subscribe to Smithsonian. They make you a Smithsonian associate, give you a certificate and all that. And it only costs $10 a year. So if you want to, you know, subscribe, don't send money, nothing like that. You just call this number, MU71100. And they're on duty right now. MU71100. Send no money. And, uh, you know, just talk to the girl. Ask her how things are in the Arctic and all that. She's, you know, Smithsonian type. And uh, let's see. What do we have? Uh, do we have that jet thing? What's the jet thing? Is, is it live? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a little 15... Oh, don't forget. Saturday afternoon at 12.35 p.m., the New York Jets, Miami Dolphins. Big pregame show featuring Don Crickey and Sam DeLuca, the halftime feature and the postgame Sam DeLuca show, are brought to you by your local Tom and shoe store. The Jets. They're having a strange season. <laughs> really, do you agree? Betty, Betty, strange. Betty, strange. And speaking of strange things, if you're a tire cuckoo, you know, there. I know one guy that's just terrible. You know, you can get hung on all kinds of things. I know a guy that's got a thing on doorknobs. I know about a guy that's got a thing on shoes. And then we got something for everybody here tonight. If you're a tire cuckoo and you'd like, you know, just have a nice, round, fat, 
sexy, smelly tires around your house. Have a good big pair of famous General Jet white walls. Go kind of nice in your living room. Prices start as low as $29. You make coffee table on it. Make a great conversation piece. Oh, yeah. Great. Trouble is, though, anybody see a pair of new tires in your front living room, that will rip you off as fast as look at you. $29.90 for a pair of those beautiful side white sidewalls. They're lovely. And uh, if you want to see these lovely General Jet tires, uh, see Dick Esposito. Sounds like a utility man for a bad ball club. See Dick Esposito at General Tire Service, 85 East Jericho Turnpike, Huntington Station, Long Island. I don't want to offend you. I suppose that is Long Island, if I want to be correct, proper about it. All right, everybody, let's dance. Uh, let's see. We got the shoe town. Boy, this is a this is a big night here on the on the old corral. Is shoe town? Oh, it is. Yeah, we got a little drama for you. Listen. And now a super shoe bonus from shoe town. Oh, what? Why is that all he's going to say? Oh, oh, I see. <laughs> now shoe town has a fantastic sale for ladies and little ladies. A select group. Oh, that's the kind I like. A select group of great saving crinkle patent stretch boots. In sizes for women and girls. It actually says grills here. So I don't know. Maybe they fit them on grills, too. At savings that are just about unbelievable, even for super shoe. Uh, ladies, choose from a group of crinkle, etc., etc. Yours at Shoe Town for a savings of 48%. All these, you know, these things that come up to the knees there. And if, I'd like to come and fit you, honey. I get after the show here. We'll talk about it, you know. I had a friend who worked in a shoe store, and he says, oh, boy. Oh, boy, oh, boy. These uh, knee-high styles <laughs> are valued to $15. They're now just seven seventy-seven. I knew one guy that used to pay to work in a shoe store over the weekend. You know, he worked in the ladies' department. It's the only place he'd work. So, ladies, get moving to Shoe Town. And, uh, you know, make it. There are 30 Shoe Town stores in the New York, New Jersey, suburban metro area. That's Shoe Town for great super shoe bargains. It's worth a trip to the city. <whistles> I can think of a lie. Is that it? That's it. No, of course not. We got 150 more friends. That's nothing. Hey, you know, uh, speaking of uh, speaking of uh, of uh, busting plate glass windows, uh, I I don't I don't want to you know I don't want to rub you the wrong way, friends. Uh, yes, I do actually. Uh, to be honest with you, I, I really do. Are, are you curious what what I was doing at the beginning of the show there? Any of you? That was a, that was a uh, checklist. Uh, an official checklist, and I mean, really, this is it. I'm not kidding. Uh, as pilot, maybe maybe you wonder what the pilot is doing when he's checking, you know, going through a checklist. What he's checking? Most people think what he's checking is to find out if you know if nothing is, uh, you know, going bad. But uh, actually, uh, you want to hear a checklist? I'll, I'll read it to you in, a, in its exact, uh, you know, in its exact terminology. This is a this is a before the two te- uh, two really two checkoff lists. There's before. The before takeoff checklist, and there's the, the the there is the the pre-landing checkoff list, and then there's the after-landing checklist. These are all these are three distinct checklists. Are you curious about them? Okay, uh, here's what you do when you get in the airplane. The first thing you do is is uh, you take out your pre-takeoff checklist, of course, and uh, there are certain things you do even before the engine is started, and you check it over. Among other things, you check to see that your brakes are, are locked because there's nothing worse than to, you know, start the engine, find a plane whipping down the field, you know, and there you are screaming and yelling, it's too late, and you take off, you know, right through the Howard Johnson. That can be real exciting. So you check that. <laughs> you, 
you check, uh, you know, whether or not your your uh, your uh, your throttle is, is pulled all the way out. Some guys leave their throttle pulled all the way out, which means that would be like starting your car with the gas pedal all the way down. You know, that would be exciting. So there are certain little things like that. However, then, now we've got the engine started. You taxi down to the end of the runway. You see the planes down there? You take out your pre-takeoff checklist. And it, for those who want to know my qualifications, I'm an aircraft owner and I'm an aircraft pilot. So it's okay. So you get down there and you wait. Now, you, you check, first of all, to make sure that there's no traffic immediately around you. That's the first thing you do. You look around. Now you're set. You're at the end of the runway. You know, you're off on the taxiway. You're not yet on the runway, and you're beginning to check. You take your check off. Now, the first item on your checkoff list is fuel on fullest tank. Now, what does that mean? Well, uh, you know, that uh, there are several tanks in an aircraft. You only have one in your car, so you don't have to do anything like that in your car. But in your airplane... You have a left tank, you have a right tank, one in one wing, one in the other, and they work separately, which could be embarrassing. You could have your tank set on your left tank and turn out that tank is empty. Well, I tell you. So what you do is that you set it on the fullest tank. Now, you can tell because each tank has a gauge. You know, one's half full, one's full. Obviously, you want the fullest tank. So you switch your switch over to the right tank. Okay, now, set your altimeter, it says. Well, now, the altimeter is set for the specific field you're on. Each field has its own above ground level, in other words, above sea level. So here in New York, it's about 20, 30, 40 feet above sea level. So when you're sitting on the ground, you want your altimeter to read 30 feet, right? If it's a, if it's the field is 30 feet high, you want it to read that. So you set that very carefully, okay? You set your gyros. What's that? Well, you don't, you don't want to hear this, do you? <laughs> you really do? You set your gyros. Now, a gyro... In, in, uh, in this particular terminology, means a, a gyro direction indicator, which is an adjunct to your compass. So you want your gyro to read exactly the same as your compass is reading. So your compass now reads, let's say, due north. You want your gyro to read due north, so you set it. These have to be set every 10 minutes or so. So you set the gyro. Okay, primer locked. Now, what is your primer? Your primer is on your fuel. It's like your, it's on your fuel you're, you're, uh, actually, it's on your throttle. See, so you lock your primer so the thing isn't going to take off on you. That means you, you lock your throttle so that it isn't going to be all the way in. Now, you're set now. You're sitting there. Now, you rev your engine up to 1,800 RPM on your tachometer. <laughs> you see the planes revving up down there? <laughs> it's revving up like mad. And it says, check engine gauges. That means you check and see whether your oil pressure is up to normal. Whether your fuel pressure is up to normal, you check all the gauges. See whether you're you're uh, you're charging your battery correctly. You, know, you got an ammeter and all that. You check everything. Make sure it's running fine. And then you check your suction, which is the magneto pressure over here. You check and see whether it's in the correct range. Every aircraft have a different range at that power. So let's say you have 24 inches of suction. You look over at 24, right? Now here we're getting technical. Mag drop. Now, a mag drop is each, your aircraft has two magnetos. And uh, when you short out the magneto, your RPM should drop if it's properly operating. If it's already shorted, obviously, it can't drop if you short your magneto. So you, you turn your switch to left mag to right mag. Left mag, you see it drop 50 RPM. And you turn it to your right mag, it drops 50 RPM. Now you've checked your mags. Now, you check your carburetor heat. 
Now, what is a carburetor heat? Carburetor heat uh, is... You know that in your... in your There's a thing called the Venturi effect. That in your car, when the air is being sucked into your carburetor, it's sucked in through a jet, right? This jet that pulls this air in. Well, as it pulls it in, it cools it intensely. Very cold. That's the Venturi effect, which is used in refrigerators. But in an aircraft at, say, 8,000 feet, where it's much colder and there may be moisture in the air, if that air sucks in there, it's liable to ice up your carburetor in the middle of a hot summer day. So your carburetor gets ice in it, you're coming down fast. So they have a heat in there. It's a little heater, electric heater, inside of an aircraft carburetor that when you throw this heater on, of course, it's intense heat is formed in the carburetor, which causes your RPM to drop, but it also melts the ice. So you have to check and see whether your carburetor heat is working. You pull that thing out, and the RPM drops down. You say, ah, carburetor heat's working. And then you say, next checklist, set it to idle. <laughs> now it's idling. Your aircraft should idle at about 800 RPM without any missing. Carburetor heat off. Now you check your controls. It says check control movement. You move your, your yoke back and forth and make sure that it's that both of them operate. Because you know somebody could have gotten, somebody could have been repairing your plane and have disconnected one of the uh, ailerons, disconnected the rudder maybe. And this has happened to guys. So you check. You check and make sure everything's working out there. Your, your ailerons go up and down. You kick the rudder and you look on the back. You see the rudder move back and forth, you know. All right, you're all set now. You check and set flaps. Well, now... You use flaps on takeoff sometimes, so you pull your flaps up. You look out the window, and you see your flaps going down, and you raise them up. You're all ready to go. Let's assume we're having no flaps on the airplane, right? We're not going to use flaps on this takeoff. You set your trim. Now, what is the trim? Well, there's a crank right above your head in certain aircraft. On other aircraft, it's down next to the seat. It's a trim which uh, trims the aircraft in flight. You know, it balances it. It gives it the... Is so that it flies at level flight without your hands on the control at all. It's a trim. It, it makes up for any deviations that are in the airframe. And it's a trim. So you have to set your trim at exactly on zero so that the plane is all set for takeoff now, right? You set your trim. There you go. Now, the next one is set trim, fuel pump on. Now, all aircraft have two fuel pumps. One is an automatic uh, mechanical one like your car, you know, fuel pump. And the other fuel pump is an electric auxiliary fuel pump. In case the first one goes bad, you can throw in the electric one. Now you want both of them on for the takeoff, because it's a crucial moment. On goes your fuel pump, right? Rotating beacon, on. Well, you know what the rotating beacon is. You know that red light that goes... Right? So you flip on the rotating beacon on. Now you're all set. The last one says check doors. It means all your doors are locked. And there's a latch that locks them. See, check doors. Check all windows little windows, make sure they're all closed. Check seatbelts. You are ready for takeoff. Isn't that exciting? Now you're ready, see. And you, 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 that now is the, is the crucial moment. Now you check for all incoming, uh, surrounding traffic. You make sure that nobody's in the pattern. Nobody's coming in to land. You look down there. You're at the end of the runway, see. You look, you look down. It's all clear. Now, let's assume this is a controlled airport. You, you hit your button on your mic, and you say, uh, uh, 73JS, 73JS, control tower. A guy comes back, control tower, 73JS, uh, I'm ready, to, ready for takeoff. Just check, clear for takeoff. 
All right, you're ready to go. He's cleared you now. In goes the throttle. Off comes the brakes. You're out uh, right down the runway. This is an exciting sight, man. You look right down that runway, and you're ready to go. And you 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 start putting in that throttle all the way. And you got to be careful. See, if you put it in all the way, it's like it's like if you put your foot down on the throttle of your car too sudden. Wait, and what happens? She'll stall, right? And she'll falter. So you just move it forward solidly instead of. your controls are getting lighter and lighter, which means that your, your your rudder feels real light on your feet and your hands move real light. See, it's getting lighter and lighter and lighter, and you're watching your airspeed indicator, which tells you exactly how fast that airplane is moving through the air. It's now 45, 50, 55 miles an hour. Now it's getting faster and faster. 55, 57, 58, 60, 61, 63. Now this is the moment. 64. Shoprite. 
you pay the same 79 cents a pound for either the semi-boneless beef chuck steak or roast, no matter what size you get. So when you get value like this, the ShopRite's true value, one price meat department, why pay more? Ask yourself that question. All right, everybody, let's dance. You got the money, honey. I got the time. We'll go honky-tonking then. We're going to have a time. We'll make all the nice spots, dance to the music fine. You got the money, honey. I got the time. College men, are you the type of fella who's aiming high and wants to get there fast? Well, this is Lefty Frizzell telling you how to do it. At 1,800 miles an hour, that's how fast a Marine aviation officer gets where he's going. He's a man with a world at his feet. He trains at the best aviation school around, and he learns leadership at the same time. If flying with the finest is for you, then you want to be a Marine aviation officer. Ask your Marine representative how you go about it. Everybody, let's dance. Hey, you know, uh, that, that flying uh, thing, uh, I've gotten a tremendous amount of mail. And I'm going to have to say this. This is Friday night now. And since it is, you know, it's a Friday, I'm going to unload. Uh, <laughs> it's a good night to do it. It's the end of a week. But I've gotten so much mail from people about the television series. You know, it's amazing. I'll give you a, a progress report. It's amazing how much larger across the country, for those of you who may not be aware of this, the audience was for our television show on the second rerun on the public broadcasting network than it was for the original run. Uh, there are a lot of reasons for this, but the, the, the ratings were fantastic across the country, particularly here in New York, all across the country, actually. Life magazine wrote about it, and the Associated Press, and there were a lot of great reviews. And people have been writing me and, you know, asking me about next year, the next series. Well, we've just submitted a whole plan to one of the networks, PBS. And if you like the show, don't write to me, really, seriously. Uh, don't write to me. Write to, uh, if you really want to uh, let your feelings be known about these shows or anything else involving uh, public broadcasting, write to PBS, Public Broadcasting System, PBS, Public Broadcasting System, and then underneath it's a TV program department, Washington, D.C. And I'm telling you, it's important. Or, better yet, you can write to your local television station to carry the show. For example, here in New York, if you dug the show and really enjoyed it and want to see more next year, write to Channel 13. You know, just uh, Channel 13. Uh, I guess it's WNET is their call, right, Jerry? WNET Channel 13. It's in Newark. Well, I, I think it's officially in Newark, but I think their studios in that are here in New York City. But uh, you just write to Channel 13. You can get their address and uh, tell them about it, you know. Uh, the reason I thought about this is because our, our uh, you know, the flying show got probably more mail than any single show that we did. Fantastic show. Great. Did you see that show? Well, it was a show of me flying my little, uh, I have a little aircraft, and uh, it was a show of taken from above most of the photography of me piloting a plane out on Cape Cod. Beautiful show. Now, speaking of beautiful shows, you don't forget, friend, October 17th, get on the stick, Carnegie Hall, 
And don't be one of these guys that winds up standing around outside yelling because you didn't have a ticket. Carnegie Hall, October 17th. Carnegie Hall. Who's going to be there? What do you mean? I'll hit you in the mouth. Me. Of course. <laughs> it's going to be big, man. Big. A big shoe. Smith and the News, of course. This is the news in detail on the hour from the WOR newsroom. Still another narcotic smuggling ring reported smashed. Today, federal drug law enforcement authorities and Westchester County's district attorney announced the arrest of 21 persons involved in smuggling heroin into this country from Lebanon. Federal Narcotics Office head Miles Ambrose said that about 17 pounds of heroin is still in Lebanon. That latest shipment, destined for the United States, did not get her yet because of tight airport security after the Arab guerrilla massacre of the Israelis at the Munich Olympic Games. W.R.'s John Scott asked Westchester County District Attorney Carl Vigari, who were the big men in the heroin ring? Mr. Big, I think, was the, uh, the defendant, Yasuf Muscovy, who is a Jordanian national and a resident of New Jersey. He's the man with the importation connections from the Middle East. The second Mr. Big in the operation was the defendant, Christopher Quails, whose home is in Mount Vernon. He was a major distributor here in the metropolitan area. All the other defendants had varying, varying statuses, involvement in the operation, but were all engaged and had some role in, this, in the distribution of these drugs in the United States. Customs agents in Miami have charged two New York City women with doing the cocaine thing, attempting to smuggle the drug in under their clothes. 25-year-old Mary Westlake of Brooklyn and Kimberly Olney, 20 years of New York City, arrived on two separate flights from Bogota, Colombia, an agent said they noticed bulges around the women's med sections. Searches turned up almost four pounds of cocaine worth almost $500,000. New York City's Youth Services Administrator Ted Gross has been ordered to prove some of his special account charges for expenses. Deputy Mayor Edward Hamilton and other top city officials want the proof because Controller Abraham Beam has given the mayor an audit that showed that many instances of what Beam said were improper, and questionable expenses by the Youth Service Agency. According to the audit, 70 agency employees got $25,000 in salary advances and no interest loans. $2,400 went for food and liquor for staff parties and a party. And Gross and an assistant had their parking tickets paid for the city hall, paid out of the city hall fund. Today, the Justice Department presented its case against mandated school busing as the only way to improve education for minority groups in America. Department lawyers told the United States Supreme Court that the best way to deal with inferior education in mostly black or Hispanic schools is to improve the schools, 
not to bust the children out of their neighborhoods. The Justice Department has entered the Denver, Colorado school integration case in which a federal judge ordered busing to gain quality education for black and Mexican-American students. This is the first busing case outside the South to receive such attention by the Justice Department. A traffic warning tonight from New York City police about the Bronx Whitestone Bridge. A truck has jackknifed on the bridge and is blocking traffic. Police have urged motorists not to use Bronx Whitestone Bridge if they're going out to Queens. We'll have more news after this. Need tires for that car of yours? See your local General Tire Specialist and mount a pair of famous General Jet Whitewall tires. Prices start as low as $29.90 for a pair of these long mileage tires in popular size 650-13 tubeless. Federal excise tax, $175 per tire, and larger sizes of the General Jet Whitewall are comparably priced. Now, if you've been thinking of buying tires for your car, stop in and see this tire. The General Jet has four full plies of tough nylon cord, Durigen tread rubber for long mileage, General's famous road-hugging dual-tread design, and slim white wall styling. That's at your local General Tire headquarters, conveniently located wherever you see the big red General Tire G, where you can mount a pair of these long-mileage General Jet white wall tires. In Brooklyn, see Bruce at Gannon Tire Company, 2360 Flatbush Avenue, or Steve at 